that are really difficult for whatever reason um, and that we don't know the outcome for and that we're nervous about. We've been talking a lot recently about how many difficult things we've been through together and like have been able to make it through and how we're very confident in our ability to problem solve together. Welcome to Love in the Face, Embracing Queer Families. I'm Katie. And I'm Nia. Caramonte. Oh, sure. (laughs) If you want the last name. If you want the last name. And uh, we are excited for this great podcast that we have today. Yeah, we have today Austin Harkey and his partner Ari on the podcast. And they talked a lot about their relationship and journey together as uh, queer folk. Yeah, and if you think we're cute. Like, they're very cute. (laughs) They are very cute. (laughs) They're very cute and so smart. And I feel like they are just so emotionally intelligent. It was wonderful to talk to them. Yeah, and their journey has taken them all over the place. Mm -hmm. And it's really, it's fun to hear uh, about. So let's get into it. Let's do it. podcast I've ever been on. So I Austin's the experienced podcaster and I'm just gonna follow follow his lead. (laughs) Here's the thing is that we need we need partners to talk more and we need to see more queer relationship like out in the world, especially trans relationships. Like we just need more of that. So anytime that someone is willing to talk we're like quick let's do it yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. we're definitely grateful to be anything but just yourself that's yeah. all we really want so yeah we're super excited to have you on the show today and i think if you would first of all just introduce yourselves um and maybe at the same time give us an elevator pitch of like who are you it's a huge question but whatever you want to tell us you know let us know who you are uh, I'm Austin. My pronouns are he, him. Uh, Austin Hartke. I suppose I should say my full name. Um, and I am a writer and a community organizer. And a lot of my work centers around transgender and gender expansive Christians. And so I wrote a book and I help lead an organization. And uh, that's all my work stuff. And then in my non-work time, I enjoy baked goods. I enjoy my dog Mowgli um, and my partner, Ari. And I'm Ari. Um, My pronouns are she, her. Um, I am uh, queer and Jewish and um, I am uh, a writer and I've also, um, I make my living in the service industry and um, yeah, I, I enjoy poetry and hiking and music and um and also tea. our dog oh yes and tea which I'm drinking ah. yes who doesn't have a cup of tea yeah mm-hmm. when you're talking on zoom it's a must you gotta have one necessity <laughs> exactly absolutely I I feel like if I were in an elevator with you both I would have a good understanding of who you are after the end of the elevator ride so I appreciate that <laughs> um You know, one of the things that we wanted to talk to you about today is 
your own journeys to your sexual and gender identities. This is obviously a very personal journey and uh, want to give you the space to kind of talk to us however you want to about that. Uh, but we'd love to hear kind of individually and, and together where, where the stories overlap, what those journeys have been like for you both. Do you want to start? Okay, I'll start. <laughs> um, yeah, my uh, sort of experience with coming to understand my orientation came first because I had, there's just more in culture about orientation than there has been historically about gender identity. Uh, so that was kind of the first thing that I realized like, oh, okay, this is a thing that might be relevant to me. So for me, I figured out that I was bisexual in high school and it was the same time that I was wrestling with a lot of stuff and my faith and how that interacted. Um, but for me, figuring out that I was bi was just like, oh, I mean, part of it was was realizing I was just attracted to lots of different kinds of people. Um, and part of it was um, appreciating the fact that that was the case because uh, saying that you're bisexual doesn't say anything about your gender. <laughs> and I appreciated that because if I would have felt like I had to identify as gay or lesbian, I feel like that would have said something about my gender that I wasn't ready to say. So mm -hmm. I appreciate the fact that I'm bi. <laughs> um, and I figured that out first. And then uh, the gender stuff kind of came later. What do you want to say about figuring stuff out younger? Yeah, I mean, so I would say... Um that I didn't really figure out that I was bi until I was kind of in college in my first couple of years of college. It's one of those things that like looking back at like my high school experience, I'm like, oh, all the signs were there. Like, like it's so obvious mm -hmm. in retrospect. Um, uh, I was you played always, field hockey for I, 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 played, <laughs> I played the gay trifecta field hockey, softball and basketball. And I was yeah. the captain of every team. Um, <laughs> and, um, and I was always like a bit of a tomboy growing up. Um, and I, I think my my understanding of my my sexuality and my gender identity were pretty tied up in that I always had sort of a an uncomfortable relationship with my femininity. I always was like more of a tomboy. Um, and I think that that made a lot of sense to me um, when I sort of realized that I was bi and realized what that meant for me. So yeah, um, yeah, so that that sort of process kind of happened like, when I was in college. And, mm -hmm. and then we met um, during the last couple years of you being in college. And mm -hmm. I was, I had just graduated from college um, and was going to start seminary. Um, and so we met uh, online through some uh, similar fandoms that we were in. <laughs> and, yeah. Do you want to uh, do you want to share what those fandoms are? Oh my gosh! I mean, it was Zena. It was Zena Warrior. Perfect. Yeah. Yep. So we were like really into the classic '90s queer coded stuff. Um, and so we got talking about that online and, um, Ari is originally from Massachusetts and I'm from Minnesota. Um, so we were always apart, but, um, I, uh, after we had talked lots, uh, online, I was like, Hey, I have friends out in Boston and like, I'm going to go out there to visit them. Can I stop and see you while I'm there? Which was really just, that was like a full out lie. I was like, I'm planning to go to see you <laughs> and then I'll see them like coincidentally. Yeah. He was trying not to freak me out, but yeah. coming on too hard. <laughs> So uh, I came out to visit and um, we hit it off and it was really fun and um, went back again to visit um, 
during the that same semester and like then, three weeks later yeah, yeah. three weeks later uh, <laughs> and you did a lot of travel <laughs> yeah but I was doing travel for work at the time so I was yeah, used to it um and uh so then it was like we uh I don't know we hit it off and and I uh being the um I mean <laughs> so my my gender identity now as I understand it is male right but like there's so much in my history that is like classic U-Haul lesbian vibes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so oh, like, you know, we talked like a couple of, like we'd seen each other twice. We talked a bunch. And then I was like, what if I just came and lived out there for the summer? <laughs> um, Why not? Great. Um, I think, especially, I think early in our relationship, it worked out well that like, I'm a very sort of cautious slow moving person mm -hmm. and Austin's more just like let's make it happen let's do it so um so it worked out well because um you know he he came out to uh stay kind of in my hometown for the summer and we got to like live in the same place and date and see how it was mm -hmm. um which yeah. was great yeah it was great so we had like a summer together and then mm -hmm. Ari went back to school for her final year that year and so we did long distance for a year while she was finishing school and I was doing my first year of seminary um and that was when we kind of had to both figure out a bunch of stuff because mm -hmm. she had to figure out like how to tell her parents that we were dating and at the time everybody thought I was a girl so like you had to figure that out. Anything you want to say about that? <laughs> yeah, well, it was also funny that you spent that whole summer, like where you were, were living was about a mile away from my parents' house. And I was, of course, living with my parents while I was in college. And um, and and like they would invite Austin over for dinner like every other night, you know? And it's like he the was there time. all the time. And, but <laughs> I like hadn't told my parents that like we were- Just staying. super good friends. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> they seemed to be very close friends. Um. So, yeah. So, and then I, I think that following year, yeah, things kind of in terms of like my sexuality and your gender identity kind of started, started to come to the, the forefront of our minds. Yeah. And so you had to tell your parents, first of all, that you were like, I'm dating a girl. And they were like, oh. And then yeah, about so a year later, never mind. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that was really the first conversation you had with your parents about your own sexuality um yeah as far as I recall um and it's been many years now <laughs> um this was all about 10 years ago um I'm I think I just like I sent them an email because I was like too afraid <laughs> to like have a conversation with them on the phone so I think <laughs> I sent them an email that was like 1500 words you know wow. <laughs> just yeah. like here's my complex understanding of like yep. what queerness is to me um mm -hmm. but I, I think I imagine they were not shocked by this information I feel like they probably had some suspicions about like what our relationship was um but yeah, I think that was, that was kind of the first conversation I had with them about it. Yeah. Yeah. So would you classify that then? So when, when we talk about the, the coming out process and the letting in process, you know, the letting in process is, is more of a, a point in time during our own identity building, right? So we're like unsure, we're building, we need support in that process. And so we let people in to support us versus coming out sometimes looks more like here's what I know of my identity right now this is who I am um so would you describe 
that conversation with your parents as closer to one or the other of those? Hmm. That's an interesting question. I guess maybe, I guess maybe it was more of a letting in, in that I wasn't, I didn't feel like I had a definitive um, label to put on my identity at the time. Um, I think I started um, identifying as queer because I sort of liked the fluidity of that and liked that that could kind of en encompass a range of identities that I felt like I was sort of sifting through. Um, and I think that that is kind of how I framed it at the time was just sort of like, here's what I know. I know that I'm not straight. <laughs> I know that like I have feelings for this person who is also not straight and um and I knew at the time that like Austin was working through a lot of gender feelings and stuff but um but that also wasn't you know settled mm -hmm. um so yeah I guess I would describe it as more of a more of a letting in yeah and I mean obviously these are not binary boxes these conversations <laughs> are now as we know like there's so many different types of ways to have these conversations so letting in in that moment but Austin I want to talk to you about like the process of letting people in and maybe even coming out uh with uh sexuality and then going back and and doing something different again and how how did that feel and what was that process like yeah I mean my the first the first coming out was very much a uh coming out in the stereotypical sense of the word I I'm the type of person where I like to mull things over and make a decision in my own mind before telling people about it <laughs> so I'm very much like I'll let you know but only after I figure it out first um so for me coming out as bi was very much that um for the folks in my life and also because I was expecting blowback on it and so I wanted to be like here's the situation you have to deal with it um when it came to gender which I kind of didn't start being able to actually figure out until I was in that first year of seminary um that was a point where I was much more okay with letting, well, I was like really nervous about it, but I was more okay with letting the people who are very close to me in my life in on the fact that I was trying to figure a thing out before I had an answer. Yeah. So mm -hmm. like, I think one of the things that I really appreciate about how our relationship formed is that I was talking to Ari about trying to figure out that gender stuff in the first couple of months of us talking. Mm -hmm. um, so even though I didn't have a like, here's my ideal, I'm trans, et cetera, I was like, hey, I'm freaking out about X, Y, Z thing, you know, and like the summer that I went out to stay with her, I came back to Minnesota for a week for my best friend's wedding. Um, and I had to be the maid of honor in the wedding and I, it just wrecked me mentally. <laughs> I came back and was like, holy crap, I was not expecting that. <laughs> um, and I came back out to Massachusetts and got to like talk with you about it mm -hmm. a little bit. And so, um, that was something that like you especially were on the like most innermost ring of me figuring out the gender stuff. I think in a way it sort of worked out well in the sense that you were in the the innermost ring of me figuring out like my sexuality stuff uh -huh. um and I think that like when we first started dating there was a little bit I think of that fear maybe on your part of just like oh god is this gonna turn into just a classic like I fell for a straight girl like she's just experimenting <laughs> or, like trying to figure something out you know mm -hmm. um so I appreciated that like you trusted me in that process and then um that you were able to trust me with your process in turn. Mm -hmm. 
yeah, it was, it was nice because I knew that you weren't going to like your feelings about me were still so new that it felt like they weren't going to completely change if I like shared that with you. And also because you weren't, you didn't have a distinct, like absolutely figured out sexual orientation. It didn't feel like that was it. Like our relationship was at risk Mm -hmm. if something about my gender changed. Um, So yeah, it just happened to work out that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think this is one of the things that we love to talk about are these like rings of safety of where, where is it okay for us to talk about these things and get feedback about these things. And because we do tend to think that we can figure out these things inside of ourselves fully and completely. We like, there's that conception out there that we can figure out our gender and sexual identity individually all within the box of ourselves but it's so important to have somebody else especially someone who you formed a bond with that you're able to talk with and get feedback from because there are moments that you're like I'm saying this out loud and it's coming out of my mouth and I'm like oh yeah that's right because Uh I got to say it out loud to another human person So Mm -hmm. do you think there was something that really helped build that safety? Like you both talked just now about trust and how you were both in such a a similar space, but do you think there was anything conscious that built that safety or was just innate? Honestly, I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that the sort of genesis of our relationship was just long conversations Mm -hmm. Um, because we kind of met online and and what that looked like for a long time was just um you know like instant messaging or like emailing or whatever and we would just have these long like five hour conversations and just like asking each other a lot of like questions about our lives and 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 uh and theology and <laughs> like big I don't know existential questions I think that we learned each other's kind of language early on Mm -hmm. and so I think that made it easy for us to to communicate um yeah I think there's also something to be said for the fact that both of us um I think feel like we communicate better written than spoken (laughs) and so the fact that we were communicating in a written way um allowed us to be more vulnerable with what we were sharing I think to be able to like write you an email about like all the things I was thinking or whatever, and then share it with you felt a lot easier than trying to have a face-to-face conversation. So I think there was part of that too, that just like the mode of communication created more space for vulnerability. Mm-hmm. And so I think, good. I think there's also something to the fact that like we have both at times in our life dealt with um, anxiety mm-hmm. and have like, gone to therapy and have done a lot more of that since we met um but but even at that time like we had some experience in in um in sort of like the language of therapy and like yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. P- psa for therapy uh, exactly everybody right? please go to therapy yes please go to therapy <laughs> so true. yeah one thing i want to say actually to what you were saying 
uh, Katie, about the like importance of having people uh, externally to help you figure stuff out. That mm-hmm. I feel like I just want to echo you and say that that is so important. Like especially like for trans folks as we're trying to figure out what fits for us. Like when it mm-hmm. comes to especially like names and pronouns, you have to have people there who will call you by those names and pronouns to see if they work. You calling yourself by them isn't going to help you as much. <laughs> so like when I first came to Ari and was like, "Hey, will you try using he him pronouns for me?" and we can see how it feels that was um a really like it was a huge it felt like a huge moment for me and it was really helpful to have somebody else who I knew would be trying it with me but wouldn't be like mad if I decided that they didn't work or whatever so I think that's Mm -hmm. I don't know I just feel like that's important and also that you could be like I think it's good but also it does feel really weird yeah (laughs) and I'm just like yeah Yeah. that's that makes sense yeah right it's cool Uh yeah how was that for you Ari to have Austin come and and you know entrust you with that yeah I mean I felt honored by that trust obviously um and I felt like um mostly I just felt like I was more worried about like I didn't want to mess things up like I I was less like I wasn't really like scared so much or like freaked out by by him being like you know I think I think I might be trans I think like I want to try using male pronouns I wasn't really unsettled by that it was more just that I had this new wave of anxiety of like oh god now I like I kind of have to figure out new ways to care for this person Mm -hmm. that that are different maybe than the ways that I've been thinking about how I care for you and I want to I want to do that right and I want to make sure you're supported and I don't want to do anything to like inadvertently hurt you in that process mm-hmm. um but I think that's part of the the two-way trust as well yeah. is that Austin coming to me and like explaining his process is like um also signifies that he feels safe enough with me that like if I get it wrong in one moment like we'll figure it out you know right and that like I had somebody to to talk to to be like hey so it's not just that you might get it wrong occasionally I'm misgendering myself in my own head all the time I was like I appreciate the the anxiety right of yeah. of you worrying about that but we're doing it too to yeah. ourselves yep. for sure. <laughs> I think that on some level we're all sort of like fundamentally self-absorbed because we live in our own head right so like yeah. <laughs> We don't, yeah, we're much more concerned, I think, about what we're doing than what other people are doing <laughs> and tend to be anxious about that. Did, did you find the need in within this process, especially with each other, each each coming to own pieces of your identity in, in the safety of your own relationship, did you find the need and the value in having those external people that you could process with, especially when it had to do with your own relationship? Mm. I'm trying to think about like, yeah, I'm trying to think about who either of us sort of brought in, in those conversations, like, um, my good friend, Emmy, I talked to her quite a lot, actually, (laughs) can I tell the, the fix it, what's wrong with her story? Yes, you can tell that story. (laughs) So my friend, Emmy, who I had gotten to know just prior to, uh, getting to know Ari, um, knew, like I talked to her about previous relationships and how I have this like fixer mentality that, you know, like I tend to just go into savior complex in relationships. And I was trying to work through that and kind of get over it and not do that anymore, uh, at the time. <laughs> and so when I met Ari and I told my friend Emmy about Ari, Emmy's first re- response was, 
well, what's wrong with her? Like, what are you trying to fix? <laughs> and I was like, nothing. Like, there's nothing. She's Thanks, great. Emmy. She's yeah, great. I appreciate that. But I think it's good to have friends who know your patterns and can be yeah. like, hey, I'm just watching out for you. Is there something here that maybe you don't want to repeat? Um, I feel like that's a really helpful thing to have. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think what was interesting for me around that time was that my life was really sort of in transition in a big way and that like that our our meeting and starting to date was like in my last my junior and senior year of college and then after I graduated I moved out um to to be close to Austin because he was starting or he was already in grad school um out here in Minnesota um so and so my from your friend groups and yeah so my support <laughs> network was really kind of like in flux at the time um because um I wasn't you know like I had I had close friends in college I was really close to my roommate and that was really valuable because she was like the first person I I um kind of let into my sort of journey with naming my sexuality um you know she like had met Austin and um and we and we talked a lot so when I first moved out here so I think that was probably the the person that I leaned on the most who kind of knew me best because we like we'd lived together for four years and so that was really valuable but I think it took me some time after I moved to kind of build up a new kind of network of friends and and people around me but eventually I did and uh yeah yeah, that makes sense. We appreciate the Midwest to East Coast connection. Being from Iowa ourselves for our entire lives, just moving to Maryland uh, about okay. four months ago. So we appreciate how hard that is to, you know, yeah, to that's a big start move. over. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, different worlds, that's for sure. Yeah, the yeah. communication patterns alone are crazy. Uh-huh. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I love too that how your story Ari too really speaks to how much you you trusted Austin as well to be able to say okay I'm we're gonna do this thing and we're gonna figure it out together I think you know <laughs> there's it it like really makes me think which I hate I I almost hate to go biblical but it really does <laughs> make me think so much of that leave and cleave idea of when we say you know what no I'm I'm really want to share a life with this person and know this person and have this person really know me as well. Um, so it's always so funny to me when something stands out as so wonderfully scriptural. I just love queer scripture. Yeah, I just love being a queer scripture moment. I think it's fantastic. Um, yeah. So we, I, yeah. Well, I was just going to say, like, I think, um, I think one of the reasons I felt like I had so much trust in that movement in that process is that I always felt like some Austin was someone who was helping me expand myself in the world and expand what I was comfortable doing. Um, and like Austin, like taught me how to drive. <laughs> like, like I, there were just a lot of, a lot of ways in which I felt like Austin was always making an effort to support me growing in regardless of whether he was involved in that growth process, which mm-hmm. felt 
really supportive and and really healthy to me. And I think that was part of the reason why I trusted, you know, moving out here so much and trusted in our the process of our relationship is is because of that sort of growth was kind of baked in to how we we related to each other. And, and also <laughs> to be a little bit biblical, um, you know, like in, in, I'm Jewish. So in, in Judaism, we definitely have a, a focus on, on giving life and like, you know, having life and having it abundantly. And when I left Massachusetts, my dad gave me um, his uh, chai necklace. Um, and for those that don't know, chai is a Hebrew word meaning life. And, and it was sort of this giving me his kind of permission and his blessing to kind of, you know, even though this, we don't fully necessarily understand the choice you're making and like moving out, it seems risky, like kind of giving me that blessing to go out and, and, and seek life. And um, I think that that's always been valuable to me in, in like my relationship with my family as the sort of like, we don't always understand your identity or, or what's going on in your head, but like ultimately like we want you to figure that out and we want you to grow. Um, yeah. I feel like the, the sort of um, what you're saying about like ex- the sort of expansive nature of like helping each other go do things that we might be nervous about or grow in different ways or try new stuff. Like I think that's been something that we've been able to do back and forth for each other because like <laughs> so much of my transition and my finishing seminary and my writing a book and starting an organization, like that wouldn't be possible if you weren't like supporting me in that and like being there for me and encouraging me and kind of saying like, Hey, I think you can do that thing. So I feel like it's a thing that we both do for each other to kind of um, encourage whatever our individual interests are and try to expand the world a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm just hearing the safety and the love, right. That you've created for one another then we get to the dark side of coming out and finding identity. And Austin, we, we went there with the faith. So we're going to talk about that. And Austin, <laughs> you also mentioned backlash. I think you said the word backlash earlier. Um, so when we think about the, the circles of safety that we've created for ourselves, you know, sometimes we get to the point where we're outside of that and we're talking to friends and family. And for whatever reason, they don't have their own processing person outside of us and so they're using us as their processing person uh, the people who are coming out to them so tell us about your experiences with that you know be it faith um, be it just you know relationships tell us about some of those moments that were maybe a little harder yeah I think um, for me it is all wrapped up in like the stuff that has been hard personally has all been wrapped up in my like extended family and and family members that uh, come out of a evangelical conservative Christian context. And so for me, it was um, first the backlash about like, you know, any of the sort of homophobic parts of Christianity that are so prevalent that really pushed me as a teenager to wonder if Christianity was even a thing I wanted any part of. (laughs) And so the pushback there was you know, all the classic stuff about being gay, being bad, et cetera, et cetera. And 
I was able to find my way through that by finding out and and figuring out that there were LGBT affirming churches that existed. Um, And so for me, that was like a big surprise. I thought that all Christians were non-affirming. And when I found (laughs) out that they were affirming Christians, I was like, oh, okay. So the non-affirming Christians don't own Christianity, (laughs) but it's possible to, to, um, be part of a community that thinks differently and has like good biblical, biblically grounded reasons for that. Um, so that for me was kind of how I worked through that part when it came to orientation. And then when it came to gender, the, it was like the same backlash, but a different, you know, same song, different verse, um, (laughs) about like, now it's about, um, gender roles and complementarity and like all of these things that are baked into conservative evangelical Christianity. Um, and the pushback there, I think one of the reasons why it was more, I don't know what the word is. The reason that it, it feels more difficult is not just because people are more used to folks who are gay and bi and, you know, lesbian, like people are just more used to that now. So that's a whole part of it. But I think another reason that it is harder in conversations about gender is because when I have conversations about, like with my relatives about gender, they're saying things about me as a trans person, but we're also having a conversation about gender in general. So like the hardest conversations are with like my dad, right? Where conversations about um, my gender end up leading to conversations about what is masculinity and does it mean that am, am I questioning his masculinity by saying that I'm a man and yet I don't have the same you know body type that he does so because it questions and asks p- people to ask questions about their own experience of gender it becomes everybody gets defensive so much faster and I feel like that's a, a really it makes it so difficult to talk about because um, I think if you're talking about orientation, straight folks don't feel like they have to defend their orientation in the same way right. that they might feel like they have to defend their understanding of gender. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I think when Nia first came out to me, right, well, it would be let me in because you hadn't been out and you were still on this journey. I read an article of someone who had reviewed your book, Transforming. <laughs> and they mentioned because I'm so sophisticated (laughs) (laughs) you're just out there reading reviews but I read in this review where you had talked about how there's night and there's day and there's dawn and there's dusk and there's ocean and there's land and then there's marsh and I thought oh okay well fine I'm done you know like that that was enough for me I'm like oh I totally get it like God Mm -hmm. is a God of the expansiveness of human nature and of mm-hmm. and uh, of diversity and I mean God is a God of nature and it, it made so much sense to me just in the few lines and then I read the book <laughs> <laughs> and then it was terrible again and I thought oh no <laughs> only book I read during that time because there was so much information coming at me you know all at once but it would it helped me to go oh this is not a defense of any sort of gender roles because we were very entrenched in the same kind of complementarianism and I never fit that role either Mm -hmm. and so it freed me to be like oh I also fall inside of this we all do to some degree right Mm -hmm. none of us very few of us are very strictly binary so I just really appreciated that and it sounds like the book was kind of part of your journey together 
yeah, I mean, <laughs> Ari helped transcribe some of the interviews in that book. So like, <laughs> yeah, it was very much um, something that like without your support, I wouldn't have been able to do, especially not in the same way. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I think the, for some people, you know, it is enough to to just get that little bit and then it's like, oh, okay, this makes sense. I get it now. And for other, like, I, I kind of wonder, and you two have an experience of this, but I was going to say that I wonder how my transition would have been different um, if we, if we had started out as an, as a, like a different gender couple becoming a same gender couple, because mm -hmm. I feel like that, like Katie, for you, were there any questions that you had to go through about like, well, if Nia is a woman, what does that mean about me being a woman? And how does that, oh, you know, yeah. so like, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I feel like for us, because, um, we both started out being like, eh, we're kind of tomboys that don't really fit femininity. Like, um, I feel like it didn't uh, push huge questions about like, I don't know, what do you think about? Yeah, I mean, I think for me, there were, I think that when you're in, in a relationship with someone, I think that there's always that part of you that is really conscious of like, I need to define myself separately from this person. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to fuse with them. Like I, I want to be my distinct person, but you also figure out so much about yourself in relation to other people and, and often primarily in relation to your partner, because that's, that's the person that you have the most intimacy with that you have, you spend the most time around. And I think that for me, there were some things about your transition that like made me kind of rethink and have a little more anxiety again around my own gender identity and my own gender presentation and sort of like this the sort of like well you know like would it like again I guess this is my my anxiety around needing to make you feel like comfortable and safe but like where I was kind of like do I need to start wearing dresses <laughs> do I need to like compliment your gender yeah, like, right um, because now everybody reads us as a straight couple and yeah, so then yeah. you have the expectations of people going oh that's a straight couple and now we should fit a different kind of gender expectations yeah, yeah. and then I think we went back the other way where then I was just like oh gosh I don't want people to think we're straight like I've got to heaven forbid <laughs> No dressers. That too is what is what does that feel like, you know, moving through that water too of being very firm in your queer identities and to the world looking straight facing because mm -hmm. I know that's a struggle for a lot of queer couples. That's that's just the bisexual dilemma. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's the the sort of Schrodinger's bisexual. It's like, <laughs> you know. Like, yeah. but do people believe I'm bisexual based on who I'm, who I'm in a relationship with? Right. Kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so it's always invisibility unless you're specific about it and you yell about it a lot. Um, yeah. People mm -hmm. forget. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, you know, I think there's a part of me that is sort of like, it was such a process of, of figuring out and, and sort of claiming my identity as a queer person that like I don't want I don't want it to be invisible like I don't mm -hmm. um I don't necessarily want to like be decked out in rainbows at all times you know <laughs> but but I also like want other queer folks to like see me and like 
um, have that that mutual recognition, you know, like when we're out in public, um, because I think there's a lot of value and, and comfort in that. Um, and I think that there are obviously so many ways to like signal queerness, to embody mm-hmm. queerness. Um, but I think I do kind of go back and forth sometimes between like, wow, it's nice. It's kind of like nice that, um, through like the process of your like physical transition like there is something nice about being read (laughs) as like a heterosexual couple because I think in some ways um in some ways I think that feels good Mm -hmm. um but then on the other hand I'm also like but I don't want people to not see the queerness Mm -hmm. like I don't want that to be minimized yeah it's a double-edged sword yeah yeah and yeah, I mean, I think one of the big pieces that we want to talk about too with you is community, right? Because we've got we've gone through these individual journeys, you've gone through these individual journeys, and then to, you know, come into yourself and then not share that with anybody else um does a disservice to all of us, right? Which you obviously have done that and you you've shared your journeys here today and through, you know, book and all of this other work that you do. Um so yeah, like tell us how you were able to create your own community as you um, found your own identities and yeah, how, how you've done that, what that's looked like and yeah, all the things about how you've done that because <laughs> it's a task, right? After you've created uh, or found your new identity and um, each time that happens to be able to find new people and new group and new community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think, so um, I think we both have done that in uh, weirdly, we've both done it in a way that where we've sort of fallen into it. So mm-hmm. like, I'm thinking about like, for me, my experience was like, I wrote transforming because I wanted trans uh, affirming theology and like theology through a trans lens to be accessible to people. And it wasn't because it was behind a bunch of academic paywalls or it was written in language that people couldn't sit down and read. So like I wrote transforming for that reason. And then, uh, after transforming came out, everybody, like, I just got so many emails saying like, Hey, me too. Where can I talk with other people, uh, about this? Like, where can I find other trans Christians and be in community? And so I built Transmission Ministry Collective as a response to that. So for me, it was, it's just been falling into it one time after another about like, I fell into the theology that I was doing because of my experiences. And then I wrote a book and then I fell into doing or organizing because of the response to that. So I feel like that it's just been a constant response to people saying, hey, me too, let's do something together. Um, And that's been the response. And when I think about the ways that you've helped create community, like we don't want to, I don't know if you want to name the specific place you worked at, but you worked at a cafe for a long time that was a queer organizing hub and like just a queer hub in general. And I don't think when you took that job, you knew that was what it was going to turn into, but you helped cultivate community in uh like a community space that people could show up and be themselves and go to queer dance night and whatever. And like, <laughs> I don't know if you planned for that, but that you kind of ended up doing that too. Yeah. I think, I think for me, I, I sort of found community through, through two different means. I think um, when I was sort of 
younger and I was still sort of in my sort of identity formation phase um I didn't really have any like out queer friends um I didn't really have an in-person community of that kind around me and I think I found community the community the way a lot of people do which was online (laughs) which was part partially I think like you know, you find fan communities like we did around um, certain media, like people talk all the time about like what representation means and like what that does for people. And like, I think that that's, that's really real. Like when you don't have um, people in your, in your day-to-day like proximity, like online is one, one place to find that. And then I think, you know, as I got older, I moved to the city. I, um, I, was like out and and sharing more of my identity with the world I think that like it was sort of just a sort of falling into like just you just sort of um I just sort of gravitated toward my people you know (laughs) like I feel like um it was just a lot of like finding like like every place I've ever worked sort of like queer coworkers tend to like find each other and gravitate toward each other and then yeah, and then in the in the places that I chose to work also tended to be places that sort of fostered um, a sense of a sense of community. Uh-huh. Yeah, it sounds sounds very organic, um, and yes. you know I think that's what happens when we are able to live authentically, right? Like we draw other people who are looking for that and trying to to get there themselves, and so that's just it's amazing to hear how organic and and natural that that can be um when you just yeah let it come to you and it it was so much easier than I ever could have envisioned (laughs) like you know um when I was like you know 19 and still figuring out a lot of that stuff and I didn't have any of that around me I think it was hard to envision a future where like that would be the case and then um it was it was kind of surprising how it happened. Like, yeah. And I think like, I think that's a natural consequence of putting yourself out there. And yeah, like you said, Nia, like the, being authentic with people, but also I feel like one of the big challenges, like in a good way, like one of the big, um, I don't know, responsibility is almost the word uh, that we have if we are able to be out with our identities is to make sure that the people who can't be out about their identities yeah. also get to feel that same community. <laughs> because just because you are not in a place where it's safe for you to be out doesn't mean that you shouldn't have the same kinds of community. Right. So how do we find ways to help people access that even if they can't be putting their themselves themselves out there so much? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I appreciate Absolutely. that. That's, that's a great, great point. Yeah, I think as a couple, you're a great representation of these rings of safety that we do like to talk about is that mm-hmm. making this space, like you said, Austin, for people who can't like aren't ready to or it's not safe for them to come out. Well, there is a place you've made this little haven mm-hmm. where people can come and say, this is who I am. I mean, it's almost like you're populating the world with little mini parts of your relationship because you're saying here here's somebody that you can talk talk to and mm-hmm. and figure it out because that's so organically what you did in your relationship and then all the way out to Ari like you're saying these public spaces where people can because you're visible you're just visible in the world <laughs> like mm-hmm. as a person they can mm-hmm. find you and see you and I think 
you're so right too, the idea of representation where we are out walking in the world. You can see that we're there, you know, like I think of our kids who range in age from five to 13 and just the exposure that they've had that I didn't have mm -hmm. to such a wide range of love that people can have for each other is huge. And I don't know if any of our children are queer, none of them have self-identified in any way yet, but the fact that they have seen it and they know it exists mm -hmm. just diffuses any kind of fear going forward. Mm -hmm. And I love that you can see that in your relationship, that really wide circle of safety. It's yeah. really beautiful. I think that there will, there will always be the interpersonal fear, right? Like, mm -hmm. I think like everything you just said is absolutely true. Um, I think like, I hope that like the generations that are coming after us have um, so much less in the way of like societal judgment. Like I hope that that's the case, but I think like there will always be interpersonal um, mm -hmm. concerns in yeah. like building your community and who you let in and who you come out to. Um, and that's always like, individual and and it always varies among the different relationships in your life um but I think it is really um it's really powerful when you when you do find like even just that one relationship or that one person mm -hmm. like when I think about like just like knowing Austin and how um much more comfortable he helped me become in myself and then I get to be that for other people like it, it is sort of that that expanding like ripple effect which is cool. yeah and it makes it even though there's always going to be interpersonal nervousness we're making the probability that people will find folks that they can share themselves with more yeah. likely which is important yeah, yeah. I feel like there's so much of your relationship that we just like plowed through <laughs> <laughs> But you guys are getting married too. It's true. <laughs> we are. That's so exciting. I think yeah. before we wrap up, I really want you to you guys, you two to have the opportunity to just say anything that you'd really like to say about your relationship and this process that you've had together. Like, let's get serious. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Look me deep in the eye. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, right. Hold eye contact for 10 seconds. Um, yeah. What should we say about it? I feel like one of the things that we've talked a lot about recently is um, when we come up against things in our life that are really difficult for whatever reason, um, and that we don't know the outcome for and that we're nervous about. We've been talking a lot recently about how many difficult things we've been through together and like have been able to make it through and how we're very confident in our ability to problem solve together. Mm -hmm. um, and that feels like almost the most important thing to be facing like we don't know how we don't know how to plan a wedding we don't know how are you, how do you say you're going to be with one person till you die like that's a ridiculous <laughs> promise to make when we're really honest about it and so like how do you face those things um and and have any confidence in them and i think you have to have confidence that the two of you are able to look at a problem and like work through it together and so i don't know i just really appreciate the way that we've been able to to now be able to look back for the past 10 years and be like, look at all the problems we've solved together and we're still yeah. here. Mm -hmm. 
and to be in uncertain periods together I yeah. think like mm-hmm. um I think sometimes the way we talk about our relationship and like our sort of respective kind of coming out stories and and um and our relationship around that like it 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 did go really well (laughs) but it also wasn't without um moments of extreme anxiety and fear and like what does this mean for us and and is this and do we have to break up or like like, is this a thing we can get through um and even when you ultimately come through that and feel stronger like those those moments are always there and sometimes those moments last months Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. and so I think just having the one thing I really value is is that same thing is that confidence of like we've kind of um I don't want to say it this way, but kind of like learned how to, how to fight or learned how to argue in in ways Mm -hmm. that we can be in conflict, but still taking care of each other at the same time. Yeah. Um, We've learned how to be like, I feel like one of the most important things you have to do is figure out how to fight without accidentally triggering the other person into like a, you know, complete breakdown. (laughs) (laughs) So like, you know, we've learned how to do that and to be like, oh, okay, this is pressing a weird button. I have to approach this in a different direction. Yeah. And, and like you said, just to kind of look back and be like, wow, like we've had some really, some really big stuff Mm -hmm. happen, like for us individually and in our life together and, and having kind of navigated that together, I think is is ultimately what gives me the confidence to feel like I think I'm ready to get married yeah you know (laughs) yeah (laughs) it's just it's so lovely watching you interact I mean I feel like this is one of the ones that we should make available video too so there's this quote that we have loved for so long um from john vignet who's the founder of larch 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 mm-hmm. mm-hmm. and um one of the things that he said was that love gives us back gives someone back to themselves and i love that idea and watching you interact and the way in which you're speaking about each other. It sounds like that is so much of what you've done for one another is Mm -hmm. allowed each other, given the gift of each other back to yourselves. And that's one of the most beautiful forms of love we can think of. That's for sure. So it's just been a total honor getting to see this and watch your interaction it's just lovely yeah and and truly appreciate the vulnerability because you know through these conversations i think the love that can be felt and is seen can help give other people back to themselves right that's yeah. that's what we're doing is like this circle um of of continual movement um so we truly appreciate uh, appreciate you sharing with us yeah, thanks for having yeah, us. Thank yeah, you. It's been absolutely. fun to talk about. And we should ask if they have anything that they do want to plug. Yeah, absolutely. Anything coming yeah, up. Yeah, where where can people find you online? <laughs> yeah. Uh what what would you like to share? Um, well, I have um the new edition of Transforming will be out by the time people hear this. Absolutely. Um, and that's very exciting. Um, so go check that out because I'm very proud of the new edition. Um, and if you are a trans person that is looking for community, um, Transmission Ministry Collective is the organization that I run, and we have lots of resources for you there if you're a, a trans Christian that wants to talk about your identity and your faith. Um, I'm trying to think what other things we want to plug. 
Everybody can come to our wedding. No, not really. <laughs> <laughs> it will be broadcast. I mean, be careful. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, you can come to our wedding in spirit. Um, <laughs> Ari, yeah. is there anything that anywhere that people can find you that you would like? Do you where to you know? would want them to find you? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. exactly right. Publicly. Um, I know you mentioned some writing too. If yeah, yeah. Put out there. I, yeah, um, you can find some of my archived writing um, on TV and other pop culture and media at um, aritalkstv.wordpress. Uh, um, yeah, yeah, it's good stuff. Oh, oh man, I didn't know that you did pop culture and TV. <laughs> Like Xena Warrior. It's Princess. not super active at the moment. I mean, I, by the time so this fun. podcast comes out, who can say? But right, yeah. she's been in a writing hiatus for the moment because the world is a lot. But I'm excited yeah. to start writing again. True. Very cool. I, yeah, you can you can see understand. if there's anything updated in a year, and then just cut that. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds perfect. Awesome. Well, I think that wraps it for the yeah. We we portion. appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks so much yeah, for having thank us. Thank you. I just find them so delightful. Such a fun conversation. Yeah, love it. Well, that's all we have for today. (laughs) Don't forget to check out Austin's re-release of Transforming. And don't forget to pre-order our book, Embracing Queer Family, out May 14th, 2024. Music for Love in the Face is Bianca Stratford by BBB. And remember, we love you. We love you. We love you. (laughs) Bye. Bye.